Welcome to Community Pulse from Environmental Design Group, highlighting the transformations happening in our communities and celebrating the leaders making them happen. Tammy Naguki, her EDG co-host and their special guest, reveal insights that are driving our communities forward, right now on Community Pulse. Hello everyone and welcome to the Community Pulse podcast. My name is Tammy Naguki with Environmental Design Group. I am joined today with my co-host Ariel Steffen, also with Environmental Design Group, and Justin Mondock with the Eastgate Regional Council of Governments. Welcome everyone. I'm going to do a quick intro of Justin so we can get started and then we'll get this conversation going. Uh, Justin is currently a regional planner for Eastgate Regional Council of Governments, the metropolitan planning organization in the Youngstown, Ohio area. He received a BA in Environmental Studies from Washington and Jefferson College with an emphasis on GIS and data analysis and is currently pursuing an MPS in Community and Economic Development from Penn State University. Wow, congratulations. Outside of work, Justin serves as a board member and the operations manager for the Midwest chapter of the Congress for the New Urbanism, a board member for his neighborhood organization, and is a co-founder and co-director of Thrive Mahoning Valley, a nonprofit that works to create a more welcoming and equitable community while striving to connect new and current residents to economic, social, and educational opportunities. Welcome, Justin. It's good to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me. We are so glad to have you as our guest today. Can you just start our audience off with a little bit about who you are, what drives you, and how you got to your current position with Eastgate? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so like you said, I'm a regional planner, uh, and I work at the Metropolitan Planning Organization, which is a lot of words to kind of say we are an intermediary government uh, entity. So you have kind of the federal and the state level. You've got your local governments, like your townships, your villages, your cities, your counties. We step that up a little bit and take a look at Mahoning and Trumbull counties in Ashtabula as well uh, in Northeast Ohio. So we cover a lot of topics. Uh, most of what I do falls in the transportation side, uh, but we also have an economic development, Appalachian Regional Commission, as well as environmental side of our agency. My background is actually environmental, and that's how I got my start at Eastgate, uh, doing some environmental planning work, a lot of wastewater planning, uh, You know, looking at where all the wastewater treatment facilities are, where the lines are, where permits are happening, and, and how do we plan for growth and development uh, within those zones. Um, and then started to do a little bit more in uh, stormwater branching out, uh, really heavy on the water quality aspect. And then uh, then started to take on some more responsibilities on the transportation side. So looking at commute programs and air quality, which I think we'll be talking about in a little bit here. Yep. Uh, and then also some bike ped planning, multimodal. And the biggest thing that I work on now is our metropolitan transportation plan, uh, which is our 20-year vision for the entire region. So how do we facilitate better transportation kind of across the whole region? And what does that mean for our local communities? And what kind of assistance can we provide them through that plan? Was that last piece, Justin? And was that in response to the COVID pandemic, or did you start that transportation planning ahead of the pandemic? Uh, so that planning process kicked off about a year ago. It's a normal thing. So every five okay. years, uh, we're either going through a full plan build out or kind of an update of the previous plan. Okay. This go around, it's a whole new plan looking out to 2050. So 
we're getting ready to do some public engagement aspects of that and really dig into the, the meat of the document. But yeah, it's a great process. I find it super fun to really break everything down as far as how our connectivity works, how accessibility works, uh, look at emerging technologies, talk to people in the communities and find out what their needs are and how we could take that to the local governments and put together a list of projects that can actually plug in and fulfill some of those needs yeah. and, and identify some of the gaps that we currently have. We talk a lot about disruption and how we see ourselves as a partner with our clients to navigate disruption. And, you know, you're talking about transportation planning over the next 20 years. Mm -hmm. It would seem like the pandemic was a huge disruption that you guys had to kind of re-navigate strategically around. Yeah, in terms of a lot of the work that we do is is very data focused. Yeah. Um, so when you're used to getting consistent data and seeing trends and pulling out things under for lack of a better term, normal conditions, yeah. uh, and you have a huge upheaval that changes people's activity and behavior, right. that gives you a blip. And, you know, you kind of have to take that data for what it is um, and be able to use it to kind of give you the insights that you need, but also kind of stash it away and be like, okay, this was a very abnormal situation and we don't need to maybe take it too closely into our minds when when looking out into the future, but still recognizing what that represents and if there's possibility for those behaviors to carry over for a number of other reasons. Right. Of course, correction one way, but not too far. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I got you. Yeah. Yeah. Justin, can you um, explain to our audience a little deeper about some of the programs that Eastgate offers to the various communities that it serves? Oh, yeah. So we could be here for days talking about <laughs> everything we offer. I think I'll stick closer to what I do. Uh, so like I had mentioned, the MTP, which is kind of the, the large regional transportation planning process, some of the bike ped planning activities that go on. So a lot of our transportation work kind of plugs in as elements of that larger planning mm -hmm. document. Our bike and pedestrian plan uh, is currently ongoing. We have kind of our public engagement survey up on our website and out for the public to interact with us. I think we'll be working on getting some in-person opportunities to really talk to some folks and see what their priorities are in that space. Um, and then our air quality and GoHio commute programs are really interesting because they work together. Air quality, I think a lot of times people tend to think is more of an environmental thing for us uh, just because of the way our funding works. Uh, we receive funding through our transportation side to forecast and monitor air quality conditions as well as talk to people about it. Do what we do and what you've all helped us out with, uh, with communicating uh, some of the importance of it and, and how it all works. Uh, and our GoHio Commute program plugs into that and that's a tool that people could use to better impact air quality. Awesome. So May was Air Quality Month. Can you talk a little bit about um, MahoningValleyAir.com and what services you offer to your community through that? Yeah, Mahoning Valley Air is really great. Uh, it's our local piece of our forecasting and monitoring uh, for air quality pollution. And it's the way that we're able to kind of get the word out to local residents. So air quality has a ton of health impacts. And, and when we're talking about kind of resilient and sustainable communities, and especially on the transportation side, because transportation has such a big impact on air pollution, air quality is a great program, at least for us, to be able to communicate the health aspects of the work that we do. So kind of by using Mahoning Valley Air as a vehicle to get that information out there, um, be able to provide a lot of the data aspects of air quality so you can see a real-time forecast of what the air quality conditions are. Uh, it all ties into what US EPA does through their Air Now program. It is 
kind of an opportunity for us to engage on a different side of our work. So a lot of it is planning for the future and working with local communities to understand what their needs are and and what recommendations we could provide them to make improvements. But this is an opportunity for us to step back and take a look at what conditions are based on the data that we're getting in and then facilitate improvement of those conditions through other programs. Uh, So how are we building our communities? What development recommendations are we making to our communities? And how is that impacting on people's behavior from a transportation side and the impacts that that all has on air quality? It seems like a really collaborative effort that you're putting not only yourself through, but the communities that you're working with. But what are some of those organizations that are helping you out with that? What are their inputs and their roles in the process? Yeah, I think collaboration's at the heart of everything our agency does. You know, we wouldn't be as successful. We wouldn't be able to accomplish nearly as much as we do uh, if people weren't willing to work alongside us and kind of be our partners. So we work with a company called Sonoma Technologies to do our forecasting and monitoring. The folks there are top class in in understanding the whole atmospheric science of everything. Uh, So really great to work with to be able to understand that data at such a core level um, and be able to communicate what's actually happening. The science. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And obviously working with environmental design group to help us on the communication side. I, I think this may go for a lot of the government sector, but communications seems to always be a stumbling point. It's a tough thing to do. It's certainly not easy, and it's uh, certainly not my background, but I'm happy to have support uh, where we get it. And to be able to take that next step and put together high-quality content that is captivating to people, I think is a really important step to being able to communicate what's happening and what we can do about it. So at the end of Air Quality Month, what like in the perfect world, what would be the outcomes that you would be looking for as far as your what your residents experience? Yeah, I think a general better understanding of what air quality is Mm -hmm. and how it could impact the everyday person. Um, I think air quality and air pollution is a little difficult because it's one of those invisible things. When it is visible, it's probably too late. Uh, You know, you think (laughs) about smog and and when you look out and it's visibly hazy or just kind of, you know, kind of cloudy out. And those are the days that may be the most challenging for people with health issues, respiratory issues, cardiovascular issues, whether it's ozone or particulate pollution, those could really impact those folks. And even if the pollution gets bad enough, it could impact people that don't necessarily have those problems on a regular basis. I would imagine, too, I'm sorry to monopolize this. I just feel like I have so many questions around this. So you represent quite a few communities where on the kind of the eastern side of the state. I would imagine this has a big impact on the economic development for those regions as well. If they can show that there is an improved air quality year over year, is that something that you're experiencing? Yeah. Uh, and that could go into funding aspects for projects, depending on uh, what the air quality benefit would be of a specific project. Uh, There's certain pots of funding focused specifically on projects that address that. It impacts, you know, in terms of the type of transportation. So obviously transit is a better alternative to automobile transportation because you're able to transport more people in a singular vehicle rather than just kind of individual folks driving around in their own personal cars, emitting more pollutants. So anything that can bolster transit activity and service is certainly a a big benefit there. That's awesome. Yeah, it sounds like you're using that data to be more proactive with some of the programs that you offer. Is that how GoHio came about then? Yeah, absolutely. So GoHio Commute is, is a tool to get us to those better outcomes. 
It is completely free. Anybody in the state of Ohio can use it. And it's a collaborative partnership amongst all of the MPOs in the state. So we all came together as the Ohio Association of Regional Councils and established this system where uh, you can go to gohiocommute.com. You can try it before you buy it, uh, so to say, where you could put in your home address, you could put in your work address, see your commute, see what your carpool options are, or if there's transit in the area that you could take, really help you build a smarter commute that is more sustainable. And a lot of the ways that we kind of promote that are, especially now, where driving costs are so high. Mm -hmm. The cost of a vehicle has gone up. The cost of insurance has gone up. The cost of gas has gone up. All of these aspects have increased. So if we could help people find a better way, if you're now carpooling, that cost is cut in half. Um, If you're filling that car up with four people, you know, cut it four ways. Like that's an incredible transformation where we could cut down on people's commute costs and transportation costs to get to the same places that they need to go. So I think there's certainly the personal aspect to Go Ohio Commute, but also we kind of outreach to employers as well. And I think there's opportunities to reach out to school administrations and bring them into the fold too. There are specific tools for each of those distinct groups to outreach to. Talk about some of those programs that you have for employers. What does that look like? Yeah, the system is super flexible. Um, if we get an employer that is interested in setting up a sub-network, we could customize it to specifically them. So they are able to have a sectioned off portion of the site where it is only their employees. You're talking about on the website now? Yep. Okay. Yeah. So you'd have your own section of GoHio Commute for your company where you could have your employees sign up for the service, participate in the program, and they're connecting with only other employees at the same business. It's easier sometimes for businesses to set up this way because you could run your own campaigns. You could set up rewards. So if uh, your employees are using the system, you could set up a point system where they're earning points and they could redeem that for certain perks. Uh, we've seen some businesses offer transit passes or swag, you know, anything sure. to get people keeping using the system and oh, that's fun. Uh, keeping engaged. You're talking about businesses within the Eastgate region. Mm-hmm. Are there companies outside of the region that are able to use the tool as well? Yeah, absolutely. Theoretically, anywhere in the state of Ohio, um, there is a benefit to being kind of in an area where there is an MPO running the show. Uh, Just because you have closer contact, there's a local contact person. If you're in an area that is uncovered by an MPO, there may be some opportunities to flex some some time and, and, and figure out how to make it work for you. But And how is that different then from what you're doing with the schools? So the schools is a really interesting component where the provider of the service that we work with built a secure section of the site. So I think data security is a, is a big concern, especially with children. Sure. Um, so they have a section of GoHio Commute called school pools, and you can work with a school district to set up a school pool where the students are either opt-in or opt-out. So you could upload a roster of uh, the students that attend And uh, those students are able to find carpools for morning drop-off and evening pickup to kind of cut down on that queuing line that sometimes forms around schools. And if schools are in neighborhoods, that could be especially disruptive to traffic flow and city streets. I think one of the other big benefits is those long queuing lines at schools are just idling vehicles. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you're idling your car, that engine is burning fuel, so you're emitting pollutants. And there's a big concern for childhood asthma rates. So we've seen that schools that have better commute practices see a lower um, rate of 
asthma occurrence in, in their students. So again, bringing in that health element to transportation, some tangible benefits by enrolling in some of these programs. Wow. I bet it'd be beneficial, too, to parents who work and can have that extra support of a carpooling system as well. Certainly, yeah. I think the communal aspect of all of this is another kind of hidden benefit where sometimes it can feel the way our communities are built or developed. We're a little more distant than people have been in the past. So if we can find natural connection points through commuting, I think that's a great opportunity to connect with the people closest to us and get to know each other better. Yeah, I wish there was something like that when my kids were little. It would have been super helpful. (laughs) I remember that carpool line. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Soccer practice, everybody in. (laughs) Those are really great programs, Justin. What what are some other things that Eastgate's working on that you want to share with us or our audience today? I think I'll go back to the uh, bike and pedestrian plan. So every so often uh, we take a look at Mahoning and Trumbull counties and we assess all of the roadways for suitability. So depending on your level of comfort riding a bike on the road, Mm -hmm. uh, we'll rate the roads just to help people understand, hey, if I need to get somewhere on my bike, these are the roads that I could take that will provide the least resistance or be most comfortable to me in We do that in a way to educate people that cycling is a viable transportation option. Um, You don't necessarily have to have a car to get to places in your community. And through that plan, there's also other aspects where we're identifying potential projects, um, looking at bicycle and pedestrian improvements that are planned or conceptual or far off dreams that, you know, we want to get to some way in the future. uh, But we find that if we could put it on paper, we can then find some way to make it happen. Right. All it needs is kind of that identification as the first step to really get there. What are you seeing? I, as someone who doesn't do a whole lot of biking, except on you know the towpath trail, uh, what are those things that cause the friction when you're talking about cycling to work safe, for instance? Yeah, I think one of the biggest aspects of it is if there is not existing safe, separate infrastructure, mm-hmm. a lot of people are hesitant to ride in mixed traffic which they are perfectly legally capable of doing. The state Ohio revised code allows or treats a bicycle as a vehicle. Um, So that's something that you're capable of doing, but you feel vulnerable. You're on two wheels. Uh, You know, it's just you out there surrounded by giant metal boxes kind of zooming around. There is research that shows that certain people are more likely to ride a bicycle and are more comfortable riding a bicycle, have a higher tolerance for risk. Typically, those people are white and male. uh, So that's why you kind of see that population as your early adopters into Mm. um, cycling for transportation. Also, there's an aspect of kind of harassment uh, that comes into play, whether that's, you know, getting yelled at by uh, motorists or um, just anything else out in public. Um, So there's, there's a hesitancy on that side as well that really may not necessarily be a transportation issue, but certainly impacts that as a transportation option. Those are really kind of the frictional elements where uh, if you don't have the infrastructure to support safe and confident riding for everyone, you're not going to get a very large portion of the population to engage in that activity. Uh, So that's more so the, the role that we look to is how do we find a way to get this infrastructure in place? What recommendations can we make to local communities to help them take those next steps to get to that future? Are you looking at dedicated, like I know in Portland, they have dedicated space for bike lanes and it's really nice and that's such a green area. Is that something that you're looking at in terms of infrastructure to present to ODOT? 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it comes up every now and then when we're talking with communities about potential projects, uh, but we're also starting to see some slow adoption. So the city of Youngstown had a project along Mahoning Avenue coming out of downtown to connect with Mill Creek Metro Parks. Uh, they now have a dedicated, separated by concrete curbing, two-way cycle track that goes down Mahoning Avenue. Uh, they'll have a very similar implementation once their front street project is uh, wrapped up with construction. Uh, so that was a part of our Youngstown Smart Network grant uh, that we got federal funding from USDOT to implement. So we're starting to see this adoption of these types of infrastructure. And I think through smart planning and having conversations with local communities and being more upfront about the benefits and, and what we could see, and especially hearing from the public that it's something that they desire, sure. you know, that goes a long way in helping kind of push those initiatives forward. It sounds like you have good leadership at Eastgate that's uh, driving a lot of these initiatives. And I think that's exciting for our entire region, really. And and hopefully that spreads across Northeast Ohio. It's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Leadership's a huge part of it. And I think, like you said, at Eastgate, it's very important. But I think we're also seeing leadership uh, you know, out in the community uh, and other people start to step up to the plate and really be thoughtful about uh, how we're growing our communities. Awesome. How can our listeners find out more about the Go Ohio Commute program and uh, the other initiatives we talked about today? Yeah. EastgateCOG.org is Eastgate's website. Okay. It's pretty hefty. There's a lot to dig through on our site, but it'll get to what you need. If you specifically are interested in Go Ohio Commute, GoHioCommute.com. It'll take you right to the tool. Uh, like I said, you could try it before you buy it. Uh, it is completely free to use. That's a perk of having it kind of be a government-provided service. Love that. But yeah, I, I, you sign up for an account. It'll let you communicate with other people interested in carpooling. It'll let you find other options to smarten up your commute and find a better way. Great. Thank you. We'll make sure we get that uh, included with the description of the podcast, too, so we can share that out with the sure. listeners. Yeah, absolutely. And then we just have a final question here, if you don't mind sharing with Tammy and I and our listeners. A um, little fun question. So what is on your bucket list for the remainder of 2022? <laughs> Yeah, this is great. So just the other week, alongside a group called the Healthy Community Partnership, uh, which is local to the Moaning Valley, there's an aspect of it focused on active transportation. So a few years ago, that program sponsored uh, Yay Bikes, which is a bike advocacy group in Columbus, Ohio, to come up to uh, Youngstown and Warren, Ohio, to do community ride leader trainings. I was lucky enough to be a part of that training. And the pandemic happened and kind of slowed all of our progress down. But a couple of weeks ago, we just held a community ride leader training of our own to train some new folks and build that confidence and those skills for riding a bike on the streets. And we're looking to get those same folks engaged in bike riding throughout the summer and then in the fall have kind of a meet up again to redevelop those skills and hopefully get them to be able to train other future ride leaders uh, in the Mahoning Valley. So really exciting for me to, during the week at work, be able to kind of work on the planning aspect of it and then kind of on the weekends, have fun with it and have a more community hands-on approach to developing the culture in Youngstown. So you're an avid rider. How many how many miles are you putting on your bike every month or so? Say the weather's decent. Yeah, certainly a fair weather rider. Um, <laughs> and honestly, I ride it more for transportation purposes. So uh, when I get the chance to ride to work, that's great. 
But really, I'd say the most frequently that I'm on my bike is to go to the grocery store. Really? <laughs> yeah, which is less than a mile away from me. So I'm super lucky. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's uh, kind of my favorite part of it is being able to take my uh, <laughs> my heftier bike with my uh, milk crate strapped to the back <laughs> and uh, load up my groceries and, and head home. But um there's a ton of support growing in the Youngstown and Warren area. There's a few uh, groups. The Outspoken Wheelmen are a longstanding group of cyclists that have ridden for a long time and another group called Psych Ward, which is a fun play on getting <laughs> into the mindset of, of riding and, and feeling that that's freeing great. nature of it that started up. So a lot of great folks doing some great work in that space and, and just happy to be a part of it all. That sounds awesome. What kind of bike do you own? <laughs> Uh, so I have two. Uh, uh, the one that is kind of my workhorse bike is just a department store bike. And then the other one is a Trek that I ride more recreationally when I want to do longer rides. It's a little lighter and, and easier to manage. But um, I, I think one of the best things I've ever heard is the best bike is the one that gets you where you need to go. Yeah. Uh, there's There's... What I feel is a little bit of a stuffy nature in the cyclist community sometimes where like, oh, you got to have, you know, this expensive equipment or whatever. Right. <laughs> if it rolls, it's good. Yeah, I'm just happy getting the rental bike up on the towpath and going for as long as it will actually take me. Yeah. <laughs> my legs will take me. Yeah. Yeah. But that's interesting about, you know, your grocery store only being a mile away. I have the same situation. But now, you know, you have me thinking about if I just rode a bike, how much I would cut down on the admissions that I'm uh, producing. And that's got my wheels turning here, Justin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you can have another margarita on Friday night to celebrate. Yes, there we go. I live close to a uh, Mexican restaurant, too, so that works. <laughs> there you go. Win-win all around. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Justin, for joining us today. We've enjoyed this conversation for sure, and uh, we look forward to having more information coming from you and Eastgate in the years to come. Yeah, absolutely. This was a delight. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.